text before us is Romans 8, verses 35 through, through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We, we come to a passage that is more than likely familiar to most everybody here. But oh, what a section of scripture this is. To be able to think this morning on the love of God towards us. I'd like for you to turn with me in your Bibles to Ezekiel 36 for a moment. As we begin this, this time in looking at God's love for us. And that how nothing shall separate us from God's love. I think it's, it's vital that we look and understand what his love looks like. In Ezekiel 36 and verse 20, we see God speaking to his, his people. And he says here, Ezekiel 36, 20, When they came to the nations, wherever they went, they profaned my holy name. When they said of them, these are the people of the Lord, and yet they've gone out of his hand, or out of his land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations wherever they went. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nation shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. And then I'll sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I'll take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and, I will, and, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave you to your fathers and you shall be my people and I'll be your God. The reason why I wanted us to look at this passage beforehand is for us to understand the impact of Romans 8 verses 35 through 39. We need to understand what God's love is like for us. We, we think of how we love people. I, I love my wife. I, 
I love my kids. I love our, our church. Just a heartfelt love for, for all of you. I think of, of the time that it took for me to, to find my wife. And there was years, I mean, 32 years, almost 33 years of waiting for God to bring me my spouse. And, and the love that's there is as you, you see who God made and that he made her for me and, and all that she went through in her life to prepare her for me. Um, but she's lovable. As you get to know her, you'll find that to be the case. She's very lovable. My kids, to me, they, they are love, lovable. <laughs> I love them. They do, they do funny things. They're sweet. They're kind. Sometimes not. But overall, just they're very easy to love. You, you as a congregation, you bless me and my family in so many ways, and we're so thankful for you. But there's, there's just a, a genuine love that is there. You're, you're, I, I hear of, of, of pastors that go to churches and how the average pastor stays at a church for only just a, a few years and then goes to another church, maybe preaches the same sermons again. And, and I just think... I, I, I couldn't even imagine that. I couldn't, I couldn't imagine leaving uh, our church. I, I look at guys like, like John MacArthur who's been at the, the same church for his entire ministry and, and how he just talks about how there's people there who, you know, their great-grandchildren are there, but he taught all the generations all the way through. And I just think, oh, I... I'd want that to be me. <laughs> Love that. I, I, I couldn't imagine leaving so long as you, you don't fire me. Um, it's a plea for my job. No, it, but I, I love it. I, I, I love it. I love, I love the opportunity to be here with you all. But you look at God's love for us, and it is a love that's so much greater than the greatest love that we could ever experience here on this earth. We love people. Because they're lovable. We love people because God placed them specifically in our lives. We love them for a lot of different reasons. And yet what you find in Scripture is that we weren't lovable. We, we weren't in a place where, where God saw all that we had to offer and loved us as a result. He loved us re- regardless of of who we are. In Deuteronomy, I'll, I'll just read this to you, but you, you see in Deuteronomy 7 where he says, for you are the holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. And then he says this in verse 7, the Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more numbered than the other people, than any other people, for you are the least of the people's. But because the Lord loves you, he didn't set his love on you because you were more in number than the other people. It wasn't that you were so great that God just couldn't live without you. He says, 
I, I didn't love you because, or choose you because you were more numbered. You were the least of all the peoples, but because the Lord loves you. But simply because he loves you. We look and, and we see God's love for us. It's not because he needed us. We see in Acts 17 where it says, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. He didn't, he didn't need us. He didn't love us because of our incredible love for him. He tells us that We were haters of God, Romans 1.30. 1 John 4.19 tells us we love him because he, what, he, he first loved us. It wasn't that we were just drawn to him and seeking him and in love with him. And as a result, he loves us. He didn't love us because we were good. There's none righteous, no, not one. He didn't love us because we were the smartest or the strongest or the most desirable. 1 Corinthians 1, 27, But God has chosen the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of this world to put to shame the things which are mighty, the base things of the world, and the things which are despised. God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. He's, he's done all of these things And it wasn't because of who he saw in us. It was because of who he is. It was because he loved us. It wasn't because he needed us. It wasn't because we were good. It wasn't because we were righteous. It wasn't because we loved him. He just simply loves us. And we look at this and we look at at the love and the love that God has for us cannot be improved upon. Jeremiah 31, 3 tells us, God says, yes, I've loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I've drawn you. I've loved you with an everlasting love, a love that will continue forever and ever. Not only that, but a love that began before the world was even created, where God tells us things like, I chose you in him before the foundations of the world, or or, we're going to inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. Or that Christ went to the cross and it was indeed foreordained before the foundations of the world. Or that your names are written in the book of life before the foundations of the world. We see that he loves us with an eternal love. Not only that, but it is a love that is, is infinite. You hear Paul say to the Christians that you might be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. The love of God is something that our minds can't even comprehend. It it passes knowledge, but his prayer is that we would understand it. We would understand as much as possible as far as the width and the length and the depth and the height. To be able to look at God's love for us and, and say, he loves me. Oh. Ephesians 2.4 tells us, that the God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Or John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So loved the world. And we look at God's love for us and 
it can't, it can't get better. It's a love for us that is perfect. It's complete. He always knows what's best for us, his bride. He blesses us with every spiritual blessing. He, he's, his love is unconditional. His love disciplines us perfectly, always. His love is, is such that it's, it's uninfluenced. It's, it's from everlasting to everlasting. It doesn't change. Fulfills our deepest need. He provides for everything that we need. It's a love that is given to us where we will be loved both now and forevermore. Forever and ever and ever, you will be loved by God by this perfect love. And so, when we look at this, a love that's so great that he died on the cross for our sins. A picture that's there of, of Christ becoming man and dying on the cross for our sins, taking all of our sins upon himself as he hung there on the cross. And he tells us there's no greater love than that. He's laid down his life for us. We look at this and, and then we look to what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8. As we've been studying through this particular chapter, really the entirety of the whole book, but specifically in this chapter, we have seen that God has purposed in this chapter to cause us, his people, to understand the greatness of our salvation and the greatness of our God and the security that we have in him. He tells us things like, we know and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. We know all things will work together for good. Now, to, to put this in, in context, there are Christians over, over history that have suffered in incredible ways. Not only that, but Paul suffered in incredible ways. You look at the list of what he went through, being left out at sea, being whipped with that that cat of nine tails, the the beatings that he took, sleeplessness, the stonings that took place, hunger. And Paul is speaking to this church, and for this church there in Rome... They have persecution that's coming at them within just a few years. I mean, they're already experiencing it, but there's, there is persecution that is coming down the pike that they have no ideas about ready to occur to them. Nero um, was the emperor of the Roman Empire from, from 54 to 68 A.D., and... He was a terrible, terrible man. He, his mom married the previous emperor, Claudius, and, and that man adopted Nero as his son. Nero did perverse things. He married his adopted sister in 53 AD. After that, Nero and his mother conspired together to poison the emperor, her husband which was also Nero's father, and, and, and they poisoned him with mushrooms. Nero took the throne in 54 AD, 
day before his brother Britannicus became a, an adult, Nero had him poisoned. When he didn't die fast enough, he increased the dose. He tried it on a goat, and then he, and then when the goat didn't die immediately, he increased it again and tried it on a pig. And when it didn't die immediately, or, or he saw the pig died immediately, and then he took that dosage and gave it to his brother, and his brother died immediately. And, he, and you look at this, and right after that, he killed his mom. Then he killed his aunt, divorced his wife, and then she died right after that, mysteriously. Right after that, um, two more of his close relatives were murdered. Then he married his favorite mistress. And then this fire occurred on July 18th and 19th in 64 A.D., this great fire of Rome, and people were accusing Nero because it's almost certain that he was the one that started it. And yet, in an effort to try to shift the blame someplace else, he, he said that the Christians started the fire. And then he just started killing them. I mean, brutal, brutal. The Christians that were there in Rome, the Christians that would have been alive to read this letter, were, were put to death in terrible ways. Even, even Peter was crucified upside down. They would take animal skins and sew them onto the people while the people were still alive. And then they would throw the people to the wild dogs or to the lions and have them be eaten alive. Stuck there in the Colosseum and, and, and just the brutal things that took place. They were covered with flammable oil, um, and, and, and lit on fire. They were paled and, and, and staked in the garden and lit on fire so that his palace would be lit up at night as he would ride on his chariot throughout the, throughout the garden entertaining people. It, 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 was, it was one of the most brutal times in all of church history as far as what took place that these Christians would have experienced. We look at it and, and we hear these, these words that Paul's speaking here. We know that all things work together for good to those who love him, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Those he foreknew, he predestined. Those He predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he also will glorify. He's glorified as if it has happened, the certainty of it. He wants these Christians to be able to understand these things, and he wants us to as well. In verse 31, just a few weeks ago, we looked at this. What do we say to these things? If God's for us, who could be against us if he didn't? Spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? If, if, God, if God gave us his son, if he gave us his son to die on the cross, won't he also freely give us everything? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justified you. Who is he who condemns? It's Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. 
Who could ever bring a charge against us? Who could condemn us? It's Christ that died on the cross for us. And so he's pre- presenting this case as far as brothers and sisters, you are secure in your relationship with Christ. If he saved you and, and predestined you and called you and, and, and did this from even before he ever created anything, you're secure in him. And he wants us to get this. He wants us to understand that. He's for us, who could be against us? And then he shifts into verse 35 with another question. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who can separate us from this love that is infinite, this love that is unfailing, this love that is greater than any love that we could ever experience? Who could separate us from the love of Christ? And then he begins to list things. Shall tribulation... Shall tribulation separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation's the idea of, of just severe adversity in this life. Our word tribulation comes from a Latin word that deals with the, the threshing floor and, and that, that, that heavy metal tool that's used just to, to separate that, that grain and just the pressure that it, it, it puts on it. There's those that will suffer incredible pain or difficulty from disease or disabilities or just pain that they have in this life. There's others who will have incredible heartache, emotional heartache and pain that leads to nights of tears and sadness. And yet no matter what degree of tribulation and anguish you may experience, there's no amount that can separate you from the love of Christ. So he begins to list things that are real for us. Can tribulation separate us from God's love? Incredible anguish. Can can that separate us from God's love? In John 16, 32, it says, Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, and has now come, that you'll be scattered each to his own, and you'll leave me alone, and yet I'm not alone because the Father is with me. These things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In this world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. You're going to have tribulation. What about distress? Shall distress? It's, it's a word that's very similar to that of tribulation, but distress carries the idea that you're confined into a very narrow space in which there appears to be no way of escape. It's not tribulation in, in, as far as that that anguish that's there because of the, the circumstances that you're under. It's distress that's coming where pressure is, is coming in on you and you're looking at it just going, I don't see how this could change. I don't see how this, this tunnel in which I'm going down has a way out. The stress that's there is it's coming at me from all directions. And your only hope is that God will help you to bear it and to endure There's times where I'm doing counseling and I'll, I'll, I'll be ministering to somebody and I look and I think, I don't know how this is going to change. I mean, honestly, you're just looking at their circumstances and you think, I don't, I, I don't see how this is going to change. Like, you have these circumstances and I know that it is incredibly heavy upon you. 
the prayer is, God, help them to endure it. Help them to endure it. Help them that they might be able to bear this. In 2 Corinthians 4, 8, it says, We're hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Those times in our lives where you're in distress, and it's just literally being hard-pressed on every side. He goes from there to say, what about persecution? Shall persecution separate us from the love of Christ? Persecution is that anguish and affliction that we experience specifically because we're Christians. When we're persecuted for Christ's sake. And we see that with people all throughout Scripture, all throughout history. Hebrews 11.36 says, Still others had a trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain and with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. These are real people that experience this. And what he's saying is, is persecution going to keep us from the love of God? I, I have grown to love the persecuted church. For years of, of ministry, I, I focused specifically trying to go to countries where they were some of the worst persecution. Those, those countries are, are places like Sudan. What the Christians experienced there was just... It's, Continues to be, but it was horrible. Um, government of Sudan would say you can't go into these areas because they're, they're war zones. These are no-fly zones. And the people there were starving in just terrible ways. They would bomb the churches on Sunday morning. People were there. I'd, I'd see kids with just shrapnel all over their faces. Executions that took place. Just brutal starvation that would occur because they would force all the people to go to one area and the food would all run out and then they won't let them out of that area. And we saw this take place where the persecution was just incredible. Places like Pakistan, um, incredible persecution the Christians face there. China, same thing. I mean, just... Meeting people, seeing their old leathery faces and listening to them talk about all the time they spent in prison for the sake of the gospel because they wouldn't stop proclaiming the gospel. Places like Vietnam where you hear these guys, they're just like, we know when we get back we're going to jail. And sure enough, they'd get back home and go to jail. Indonesia, just walking with a pastor saying, this is our church, they burned it down. Listening to them talk about it, saying, I looked outside, I saw them. They were burning the church down. I looked, and it was being led by the mayor. And just listening to them. Burma, listening to a guy, my legs just atrophied completely because they were bound with chains. It's because I said that Buddhism was wrong, and I, I, I showed them in Scripture the truth, and they threw me in prison for years. You see these things take place, and, and it's just brutal. I, I, I think of 
North Korea, that there has to be believers in North Korea. There has to be. Look at a country like that where after the Korean War, there at the 38th parallel, the country was split into two. But no one knows really what's taking place in North Korea. You see all that takes place, but I'll tell you, all those prisoners of war that were there in South Korea during the war, all of those people that had missionaries there on a regular basis preaching the gospel to those prisoners of war, those guys that went back. I, I read some stories of, of, of guys that were, they specifically focused on the prisoners of war there in, in South Korea. And, and some of those guys went back. So many Christians in Korea and what's taking place. I mean, the gospel has to have gone into North Korea. There has to be a church there. And yet, if they were to be public in any way, being put to death. I, I, I assure you there will come a day that we will hear stories of what has taken place with Christians in North Korea. And you look at this and the question is, is does persecution does it keep us from the love of God? I think of it in, in Revelation 6, 9 where the fifth seal is open and it says, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And then a white robe was given to each of them. And it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of them and their fellow servants and their brethren who will be killed as they were was completed. It's, it's verses like that that are just radical to me. Like, There's these guys that are in heaven, these women that are in heaven, and they've been killed for their faith. And they're saying, how much longer till you avenge our blood? And God says, here's a white robe. Wait, it's a little bit longer. There's still others that are going to die just like you until that number is completed. And to have those guys listen and say, there's a number. Like, there is specifically a number. God knows every one of them that will be put to death for the sake of their faith. And you look at it, and God says, shall persecution do it? What about famine? I got to believe that when I flew into South Sudan in 1998 that I saw one of the worst famines that has ever hit anywhere. I mean, I, every person, you could see all of their bones, just hut after hut of people laying there. I mean, they couldn't even move. Flies all over their face. They couldn't eat. The food was gone. They were eating grass. They were eating leaves. The people were saying, we're eating things that's not edible. There's nothing left here at all. And you're looking at these people, and literally everywhere that you went, it, it was the, the most horrific thing that you could imagine as far as seeing people that, that were starving to death, could not eat anything. There was nothing for them. Every mango was off the trees. There was nothing for these people. Look at it, and what about that famine or nakedness? Went to villages in, in South Sudan where most of the people had no clothes at all. We, we could look at that and, and translate some of these things into things like losing your job, losing your house, not knowing where the next meal is going to come from. What about peril? Peril is, is, is also just the, the, the common things that we experience as far as afflictions that come on us. Or sword. 
the sword that is there that would be there to take our life for the sake of being a Christian. And he says, as it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter, quoting from the Old Testament. For the sake of Christ, we're killed all day long. We're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. And these words, without a doubt, have been words that are just the, the lifeline for Christians who have suffered incredible persecution. And then in verse 37, it says, Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You can take every circumstance that was just listed. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. Yet in all of these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. Yet in all these things, it's not just that we've conquered it. We're more than conquerors. We're being persecuted for the name of Christ and we will enter into glory. All of these things that come upon us in this, this life physically, it's not worthy to be compared with the glory that will follow. Listening to them talking about these things and, and, and Paul saying, we're more than conquerors. We'll spend eternity with him. We have no sin. We have the righteousness of Christ. We've been brought into his kingdom. We belong to him. We have treasures that are up waiting for us in heaven. We're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded, some of your versions may say, for I am convinced, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He goes through and just gives it application here for us now. Convinced of this. I'm persuaded of this. And this is what I'll leave you with this morning. Are you, are you persuaded? Are you convinced? There are so many people who have a wrong view of the love of God and of their salvation to where, to where they think that it all depends upon them. They have insecurity, stress, legalism. All of these things, trying to find love in others rather than in God, trying to earn favor with God. They think that it, it all depends on them. It's a man-centered view of their salvation. God does not want us to have that. It'll lead to just weak worship, half-hearted prayers. It'll affect your life in incredible ways to think that it all depends upon you. But to hear him say things like, we know that all things work together for good to those who, are, who love God, who are the called. He predestined you knew you, he called you, he justified you, he glorified you. If he didn't spare his own son, how much more will he also freely give you all things? 
There's nothing that can separate you from his love. I'm persuaded. I'm convinced. I'm absolutely certain, Paul's saying, that there's nothing. Death. The death, when you look at it and say, what happens when I die? Can death separate me from the love of God? And the response is no. What about life? Anything in this life? Is there anything that can separate us from the love of God? What about angels? Or principalities? Can the angels that are in heaven or the principalities that are the devil and the, his legions that are here on earth, can that? Paul's saying, I'm convinced, no. What about powers, other spiritual powers? No. What about things present? Is there anything right now that could ever separate you from God's love? And the answer would be no. What about things to come? Is there anything that could happen to you in the future that would ever separate you from the love of Christ? And his response is, there's nothing. What about height? Can you go so high that you're separated from the love of God? No. What about depth? Can you go so low that you're separated from the love of God? And Paul's saying no. Is there any other created thing? Is there anything else in this universe that could separate you from the love of God? The response is no. Nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He he writes the section, it's inspired by the Holy Spirit to affect us as his people. I'm persuaded. I'm absolutely convinced through all of Scripture where I see a God who says that I would never seek after him, that I was a hater of him, that the inclination of my heart was evil continually, and yet he drew me, called me to himself. A God who tells me, I knew you before I ever created the world. Not only that, but I chose you before I created the world, before the foundations of the world. I called you. I determined your boundaries and your dwelling places that you might grope for me and find me. I give you the Holy Spirit and he is the seal that is there on your heart. I give you life and it's everlasting life. I'm the shepherd and I I know my sheep and they follow me. I hold them in my hand and the Father who is greater than all holds you in his hand. There's no one that can snatch you away. I gave you my own son. I'll freely give you all things. You have an inheritance, and it's incorruptible, and it's undefiled, and it doesn't fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you, and it's kept by the power of God. It's kept by him. I've done these things for you, and I'm convinced, I'm persuaded that there is nothing that can separate me from that. Because it is God who has done that for us. He has written this for us to have great hope. When tribulation comes into our lives, when distress where the walls feel like they're just coming in and it just doesn't look like there's a way out and you're looking at it and saying, God, please just help me to endure through this time. When there's persecution and you're sitting there going, God, where are you? Where are you when... Guys like Jim Elliott go to preach the gospel and they're put to death. 
where are you? Well, pastors are thrown in Iran because they're going there to preach the gospel. Where are you? Where are you when people are taken hostage? Where are you when all of these things happen to us? When there's times where we go, where is he? He writes things like this so that when there's famine, and this would have been all real things that these people would have dealt with. When there's a drought that would have come their way, there would have been famine that would have followed. There was no like UNICEF that was coming in. There was no one that was going to be dropping loads of food. When there was famine, there was famine, and they watched people die. Nakedness, it was real for them. Peril, sword. There has been believers that have faced these things, and we do as well. When all of these things happen, is, and there's a possibility to say, God, where are you? Why are you letting this happen to me? Why? How come I have walls coming in in all directions? There doesn't seem like there's a way out that God would tell us in that time. But just know this, there is even when the walls are coming in and persecution is there and sword is there and peril is there and money's not there and times are hard and here's all of your circumstances, just know this, that there's nothing that can separate you from my love. And that's supposed to bring weight to us to where we look at it and we just say, oh, there's hope. Everything can be coming in on me on all directions and yet... There's absolutely nothing that can separate me from his love. And when I'm there and I've been in heaven for thousands upon thousands of years, his love will be the same towards me. There's nothing, there's no created thing, there's no chance of the dark side coming in, you know. There's no chance of someone overtaking God's kingdom. There's no chance of anything happening to where God looks and says, that's it, I'm done. I made plans from the foundations of the world, but gosh, you guys threw me for a loop. That's it. I'm going in a different direction. There's no chance of him ever forgetting about us or ever stopping to love us the way that he's loved us. And when our lives look like they're in chaos and when it looks like things aren't the way that you want it to be, God still would look and say, just know there's nothing that can separate you from God's love. And for us to think on that and to just have our minds at a place of him on the cross saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. To be able to think of the love of God that is always patient and kind and long-suffering. To be able to look at the love of God and to be able to see it, the fullness of God's love in which he has loved us and that he has called us who were going in a direction totally the opposite of him and not worthy of any of it and not lovable. But where he did this according to his own good and sovereign love has loved us like this. To be able to be at a place of even if everything goes in chaos in my own mind from what my plans are. There's nothing that can separate me from his love. And I'll take that over anything else. When things seem to be going poorly, not the way we like it persecution comes or distress or peril there's nothing and Paul says I'm convinced of this I'm persuaded of that there's nothing I hope from our study in God's word through these sections I pray that us as a church would would be able to say with Paul me too I'm persuaded.
I'm convinced. I've seen it. I'm convinced. Neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities nor powers, nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth, nor any of the created things shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm convinced. And brothers and sisters, I'm convinced. May that be where our hearts are. And as a result, may it lead to security. May it lead to great thoughts about God. May it lead to heartfelt praise. May it lead to a peace that would pass all understanding. May it lead to joy in the midst of trials and tribulation. Knowing that he has a plan. Knowing that he loves us. Knowing that he works these things together for our good. That he's molding us and he's conforming us into his image. And that this life, which seems like it could be so difficult, is like a vapor. It appears for a little while and vanishes away. And you will enter into glory. And you'll look at it. And when you've been there 10,000 years, you'll say, I'm convinced. There's nothing that can separate me from his love. Amen. Let's close with prayer and then a time of, of worship. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for inspiring such a text as Romans chapter 8. What a chapter. What a chapter to give us such great thoughts about you. Just the knowledge that there's therefore now no condemnation for us. There's no condemnation. You work everything together for good. You predestined us. You foreknew us. You called us. You justified us. You glorified us. The certainty of these things. You gave us your son. How much more will you also freely give us all things? Who is there that can condemn us? Who is there that could bring a charge against us? You've saved us. You've justified us. You've changed our status to where we're no longer enemies of you or strangers or sinners. We are those who have had our sin removed and we've been clothed with robes of righteousness. We've been justified by you, the one who died for us. Lord, we're persuaded. We're convinced that there's nothing that can separate us from your love. And may that hope and that security, that knowledge of our salvation and what you have accomplished for us, may that ignite within the saints here at Reverence Bible Church, within our hearts, such a passion for your glory and to exalt you and to praise you and to proclaim the gospel that that it leaves this place and goes to this valley and to this county and to this state and even to the uttermost parts of the world of those who love you and desire to make your name known throughout this world. But may it first cause joy in the heart that may have sadness. Because there is nothing that can separate us from your love.
cause that to affect us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.